Hello, everyone. You're listening to Angel Nears, the podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where experienced operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Arjun Mendy, a co-founder and CEO of Molten, a cloud platform that streamlines core operations of media and entertainment enterprises. Today, we're going to talk with Arjun about media tech and why it's a huge opportunity for innovation right now. But before we get into that, Arjun, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you. Uh, a little inside baseball for the listeners. Um, we, we're kind of restarting the episode, so we're going to try and hit all the uh, the details we hit before. But Arjun, you did such a great job <laughs> talking about uh, talking about your background. Can you give it to me one more time? How'd you get started in this business? Of course. So I got started back in the undergrad days when I realized that I could go to math competitions, win cash prizes, and then buy guitars with that money. So this is about, gosh, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And a consequence of that is that I ended up getting very good in mathematics and I also got pretty good in music. So right out of undergrad, I, you know, by day I was a software engineer, I would code and by night I was a musician. I'd play in cafes and concert halls. And in a couple of years, I started getting approached by record labels. I was doing concerts with thousands of people in the audience. And what I saw of the industry was very interesting. It, in fact, convinced me not to pursue music as a professional option. And that, that impression, the first impression of the media industry, over time just grew into an obsession, into such a fascinating space that touches all of us in so many different ways. And yet it convinces a lot of artists to drop out. So anyway, over time, I specialized in cloud technologies. I built cloud infrastructures. And every time I built something new, designed something new, I couldn't help but think of what it would mean for the media industry. In 2012, when I came to MIT, I filed my first patent on decentralized rights management. And in 2018, I started Molten. So that's the story of how I got here. And, uh, you know, it's been a fascinating ride since then, just, just being part of uh, such a dynamic and evolving industry. That's so interesting. And, and like I said before, it's admirable. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm jealous that you know you're able to learn technology, learn uh, learn how technology works, and then uh, kind of marry that with your your interest in music and entertainment. You said you you know you learned the entertainment industry, and uh, it, it almost turned you off a little bit. Can you connect the dots for me? How uh, you know your your history in media and entertainment led you to file a patent for distributed rights management? So put yourself in the shoes of any artist, any independent artist, right? What do you do all day? You're passionate about your art. Say you're a musician. You practice, you create art, you record it, you perform it. And then you have the option of participating in the digital media value chain. So you go to an institution like a record label or a production company, and you come up with some sort of an agreement to, to collaborate with them. And at least back in the day, 
when I had the opportunity to think about that as a professional option, I was introduced to concepts that I wasn't familiar with, concepts of who owns the rights, who gets to keep the content, who, who owns the content, who decides where this content goes, how it gets monetized, how does the money flow through this industry, what parts of the world get to touch this content. You know, you start asking these questions and it takes you down a very intricate value chain that has evolved over the last five decades or so. You know, back in the day, media was a physical asset. People would distribute cassette tapes and then CDs. And what is interesting is a lot of the frameworks that we use today for the flow of intellectual property and the flow of value are still using the same pipelines, even though content is digital and it moves around the world almost in real time. So this is what got me really fascinated and a consequence of, I guess, the lack of evolution of some of these underlying pipelines is that it limits our ability and our creativity as entrepreneurs and as, as, as media technology companies on what we can do with media content. You know, it limits how we can interact with media. So take, for example, any social media platform. If you put copyright protected material on it, the rules today state that it must be taken down. Yes, it must be because you don't have rights for it. But what if we had the ability to license that content in real time where you paid a cent every time somebody you know, consumed that content or downloaded that content? Well, there are creative ways of doing this. We've heard in the news recently about NFTs and the rise of digital intellectual property and the trading or buying and selling of digital intellectual property rights. So there is this urge to come up with creative ways of using media, which is great for everyone, you know, the rights holders, the, the platforms. But we're stuck with the baggage of back office operations that haven't evolved. I hear you. And uh, it sounds like, you know, this is an industry that has a lot of opportunity for innovation. So, yeah, wh why don't you tell me more about uh, media tech, what it looks like today, and, uh, you know, why people should care? Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, media stands for medium of communication, right? So, there are there are umpteen number of ways we communicate today. There are many different platforms and forms that it takes. So think of film, TV, music, books, images, VR, gaming, advertising, online education. You know, the list goes on and on. Collectively, all of this is digital media. Now, if you go to this 30,000 foot level, you start seeing the opportunity ahead of us. You know, our ability to to create, monetize, distribute digital media content over the next decade is incredible. And even the pandemic has accelerated that move to, to really digitize the pipelines uh, that, that power a lot of this digital media in the world. So that's why people should care about digital media. We're all consumers of digital media. 
over and over again every day of our lives. So what happens in digital media directly affects us. You know, the ability to stream movies led to Netflix and YouTube and the ability to stream music got us uh, applications like Spotify and later led to online education. So it has massive ramifications. Now, the big opportunity ahead of all of us is, you know, we've seen what happens when consumer experiences get digitized and that drives innovation back into the value chain. So remember I said everything behind the screen that we consume media on is still is still stuck with some of the legacy infrastructure that we built decades ago. The big opportunity ahead of us right now is that that legacy infrastructure is disintegrating. It's evolving and rapidly. You know, we're talking about multiple verticals of this industry undergoing once in a decade, once in a couple of decades kind of an evolution. So it's a huge opportunity. And if you just want to do a sanity, if you just want to do a a quick mental check on whether this makes sense or not, just ask yourself this question. Do you believe that in the next 10 years, most media companies will base their infrastructure in the cloud, yes or no? And the answer, you know, in my opinion is yes. And the question is then, today, do most media companies have their operations in the cloud? And the answer is no. So within the next 10 years, you're going to see the biggest chunk of internet usage moving to the cloud. That's so interesting. And, uh, you know, we see it like every day, right? Media companies are in our faces all the time. And there's kind of this spectrum of like old to new, you know, there's the traditional, the universals, the Disney's, Warner Brothers, etc. And then, you know, there's kind of the software companies that have ridden that digital wave, that cloud wave, the Spotify that you mentioned, Netflix. And I imagine that, you know, like I said, everything, everyone's on a spectrum and uh, the ability to, to, to become digital is, is really important. And some people will make it, some won't. I think Disney is a great example of a company that probably will make it because of the innovations they're making, Disney, Disney Plus and that. So for me, can you compare kind of the, the traditional media companies versus these kind of versions we have today of, of Spotify and Netflix? And is there hope for those kind of old legacy companies or is it always, is it just going to be Spotify and Netflix moving forward? You know, there are some nuggets of conventional wisdom in the media industry that still hold true. And one of those is content is king, right? Because at the heart of everything in the media industry, it is the business of intellectual property. Whether you're making movies or music or books or images or VR, you're creating intellectual property, digital assets. You know, today it's all digital. That, that's why I think of it as digital assets. Now, the short answer to your question is, of course, every media industry has an opportunity to participate in this future. How they participate in this future is up to them today. Right? They could be on the sidelines where they say, hey, we are exceptional at creating great content. Good. We'll just do that. Now, once we create this content, 
we then hand it over to somebody else to take it from there, you know, maybe a distributor or a sales agent, um, some organization that then runs it through the value chain. Um, or they could say, hey, we're going to go the other route where we are independent self creators and self monetizing organizations where we create great content and then we distribute it globally. That's also possible. So I really think that media organizations are going to have a lot of choice right now to the extent that they've not had in the past. The other interesting dimension of this is we are blurring the lines, the separation between media companies and technology companies, right? How would you define Netflix or Spotify? And you just brought up the example of Disney. You know, one of Disney's executive priorities is to innovate and to leverage the latest technologies to create better media experiences. So we're starting to see technology become a primary driver of growth in the media industry. And that has not always been true. You know, media companies did a great job of creating media content and then they would work with somebody else to distribute it and sell it. And now we're blurring those lines. So I'm very excited to see how this evolves. So my next question is why you're saying this this kind of sector, this market, it's ripe for disruption. There's huge opportunities for growth and innovation. So what is it about today in 2021 that makes this sector prime for innovation and, and disruption? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So every time you have a paradigm shift in how an industry goes about its business, you're going to see massive change. Every time you have massive change, you have massive opportunity. And that's why I believe the media industry is ripe for innovation the, at a scale that we have rarely seen. I guess the last time we had this level of change in the media industry was with the dot-com boom, which led to the creation of new media experiences, online media experiences. It was the first time we made it possible to consume digital media in a browser. And that led to a whole generation of innovation. This time, however, the innovation is in the back office operations. You know, we've done a great job of streaming content, making brilliant personalized interfaces, and from TikTok's incredible recommendations to you know the network benefits of social media to MOOC and its benefits, teaching students all around the world. So, you know, we've seen incredible innovations from that first generation. But now we are going into the back office. We're seeing, well, at the end of the day, garbage in leads to garbage out. So if you start following the value chain, you're going to reach a point where one of the biggest problems in the industry ends up becoming the state of the data, the state of intellectual property data. Who owns what? Who gets paid what? What restrictions do I have to comply with? 
as a participant in this industry, whether you know I'm a creator or a distributor or a sales agent or a, a monetization platform. So it restricts our ability to utilize that media content, our freedom and our capability, I guess, to, to leverage the deep, deep libraries of content that exist in the world and even wider inflow of content that we are seeing from you know, users of different platforms all around the world. So that's why I believe that in the next five years, we're going to see a, a radical innovation in the underlying infrastructure of the media industry. Again, the type that happens once in a couple of decades. It's going to shape the next couple of decades of the media industry for us. I would agree that, you know, Today, given that everything is digital and moving to the cloud, that creates this kind of shareable or shareability around around the content. So the content can move freely today. And you mentioned, you know, if you study the value chain, you'll 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 find it's restrictive in places. Could you expand on that? Like, wh- what exactly do you mean by that? And uh, what are the key, you know, challenges that that face creators today when it comes to innovation in media tech? Yeah. So I guess it's best explained with with an example. So let's create a scenario here. So it helps us really visualize how things work. So imagine you are a film production company, right? That's where the content is created, and hence the value chain can be considered to start from there. Of course, if you really zoom out a little bit further, you'll see there are investment firms that give you the capital to create the content. But let's assume we start our value chain exploration from the point of production of content. So you're a film production company, and you're working on a movie today. Now, you've signed various contracts with artists and other participants uh, in the creation of this content. And you finally have this content. Now, your job as a production company is to monetize this content, this piece of intellectual property. That's your business. So how do you go about doing that? You would either self-distribute to platforms, which is easier said than done, You know, there are now thousands of platforms around the world uh, for streaming content, for broadcasting content. There's free TV, there's cable TV, there are movie theaters, there are ancillary rights like ship and (laughs) airplanes, hotels. So there's a lot of opportunity to monetize this content and a very narrow window of time to do that because it's all about timing. So you have to enter into a sprint, a sprint of monetizing this content. So typically what most companies would do is they would hire a sales team that sells this content. To sell this content, you're basically signing more deals, more contracts with distributors around the world. So you've got a certain distributor that manages Germany and Belgium streaming rights. You've got another distributor that does Belgium and France free TV rights. And you get the idea, right? Typically for every territory, you've got one or more different participants. 
you may enter into you know a mammoth deal with one of the multinational corporations, which then further signs similar contracts with uh, you know the last mile distributors. So nonetheless, your now single film probably has north of 200 contracts. Every contract comes with restrictions. Every contract comes with obligations. So you've got restrictions on how the right, how you can monetize this content, how you can utilize this content. So let me give you a few examples. A typical contract would say, now you're giving certain rights to that entity to exploit in a certain way. And those rights could be, if you make an example, let's say advertising-based subscription rights. In the industry, we call it AdWord or AVOD, you know, advertising video on demand rights. So you just gave somebody AVOD rights, you sold AVOD rights, or you gave them those rights for a certain period of time. It could be one year, three years, five years, 10 years. It could be exclusive, it could be non-exclusive. There is obviously a financial component to it. The financial component could be, you know, as creative as uh, you want it to be. And say it's exclusive which means that if you gave those rights to this company for Germany, you cannot sell those rights to anyone else in the world for that period of time. Now, if you take a step back, and if you are a production company, you don't have just one such movie in your catalog. You've probably produced a hundred such movies and you've probably acquired similar rights for a few thousand other movies. So then at the end of the day, you're managing a portfolio of thousands of such titles of digital asset. Each one has hundreds of different contracts which with thousands of different variables, and it gets really complicated. So that leads us to this problem of if all this information is captured in paper contracts stuffed in closets in your office, the next time you have an opportunity to monetize your content, what would be your reaction? You'd be like, ah, that's going to take me, you know, three months of paper shuffling. It'll take me an army of lawyers to figure out if I can do that or not. So that limits our ability to monetize this content, which is core to the business of the production companies, of the distribution companies. So we're looking at a generation now where data science has caught up, where cloud technologies have caught up, where first, all this data is being cleaned. It's being moved to digital state where rather than spending months and months of effort trying to decode information and rights and abilities, you now do it in milliseconds. Second, you're now able to link content with that information. So when you say, hey, you know, I have the Italian dubbed version of this video approved for PG-13 audiences in this part of the world. Well, imagine 20 years ago, that content would be sitting in tape in some film lab in Europe, you know, the lab that did the dubbing. And when you're managing tens of thousands of titles and you've got hundreds of thousands of such versions of content, it gets really hard to know what is where. 
Now, all of this is getting digitized and it's happening as we speak across the industry. So when you say, I want to, you know, when you have the opportunity to monetize PG-13 Italian version of this film for AVOD in Italy, it should take you 10 seconds to figure out your ability to do that. And if you like it, you know, you should be able to, if, 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 if it makes sense, you should be able to pursue it. So we're talking about that kind of a digitization of the plumbing of the industry, which has never happened before. And then you start layering on all these incredibly creative ideas. Like, you know, we touched upon uh, NFTs just earlier today. So think about non-fungible tokens. That's one good idea on how you can trade intellectual property rights in a purely digital environment. It's not the only idea. There are many other very cool ideas. But to give these ideas a shot at being successful, we need that plumbing layer to be fixed. We need clean data. If you don't even know who can sell what, how are you going to do it? So the vision for the future, at least the one that I have, is that intellectual property business today, even today, takes months and months of work and effort. I believe we should be able to do this in a purely API-based environment. You know, of course, there'll be human factor of negotiations and finding the collaborators you want to work with, but the mechanics of the industry, whether it's trading or it's deliveries or distribution or content transcoding, encoding, financial settlements, we should be doing those in milliseconds. Well, I liked, I really liked how that started. You know, Oleg, you're a media company. Okay, sounds great. But then it, it got a little more complicated. We're making a film and we're distributing it. Okay, we have 200 contracts. Okay, that's like a little more complex. And now I'm imagining I have multiple films and I'm, I'm managing multiple sets of contracts. And uh, it, it just got, uh, it, it got painful to think about. I'm going to be honest. So I feel like now's a good time. To, to ask uh, about Molten. Yeah, to tell us about Molten and, and, and what's the elevator pitch for your company? Molten, in simple terms, was built to modernize media operations. Okay. Our purpose for existence is to modernize the plumbing that powers intellectual property businesses. And this plumbing manages data, content, and operations. Mm-hmm. So we talked about you know, the various use cases and the various challenges that a media company goes through today to monetize and distribute its content. Mm-hmm. Now, Molten introduces an innovation in this industry which enables the management of all its data and content in the cloud. And it fills a very critical technology vacuum in this industry. Let me elaborate what the vacuum means. So today, if I'm a media company, in principle, I understand the value of digitizing my data, my content, making it easily accessible so I could do business faster and more efficiently. So I don't really need to sell anyone on that idea. But the problem is, how do you go about doing it? You know, on one extreme, you have the cloud servers that you can that you can rent 
So you could go to AWS, set up a compute cluster, storage cluster, and then build the entire solution yourself. Or on the other extreme, you have very cool applications, but they're generally point solutions. So you could use Vimeo to you know, host a few videos and privately share access. You could go to some other participant to manage nuggets of your data. You could go to somebody else to do film encoding and transcoding. You could go to somebody else for financial settlements. And over time, every company ends up having dozens of vendors and technologies that they work with. So Molten fills this technology gap that makes the cloud accessible. You know, if you look at the industry today, you're going to see the biggest of the biggest media companies are trying to build some of these solutions in-house. We've seen this happen before, 20 years ago, managing data and building MIS and EIS systems was a thing. And we saw a lot of media companies building it in-house. Eventually, they decided to partner with a solution like Teradata or Cognos and you know, work with a specialist in that solution. I think we are seeing something similar happen now where there is a demand to make the cloud accessible, but there is a huge domain expertise barrier which prevents a generic solution from being able to solve this problem. And that's what Molten does. It makes the cloud accessible for media industry. And can you expand on how it does that? Is it by by cleaning the data? Are you capturing data uh, in, a, in, a, in an optimized way? Explain a little bit more for me. Of course. So Molten, rather than building applications, decided to build a platform of applications. So the idea here is that rather than addressing the ramifications of broken infrastructure, of the fragmentation of infrastructure, we decided to address the root cause of the problem. And the root cause of the problem is really down to the data and the content and how it's managed. The data today in media industry is typically managed in paper contracts or some Excel type CRM tool. It is not intelligent enough typically to interpret that data at the level of depth and flexibility that is required. And it is not able to integrate with the various other outlets that uh, require that data. So we decided to build a technology that addresses the problem from the root cause, essentially starting by building a system of record. So Molten is a modern system of record for intellectual property management. We sell a cloud solution, a cloud infrastructure to media companies. We typically work with film and television companies today. And it is a simple infrastructure that ingests their data. The data could be coming from any source, really. It could be you know, a third-party application. It could be a database. It could be spreadsheets, structured, unstructured data. It could be coming from vendors, data entry people. It, 
it could come from any source that uh, generates the data. So we create a data ingestion system that ingests all the data. It does the basic, you know, ETL, extraction, transformation, and loading of the data. So it cleans the data, it transforms it into a normalized state. So all this data is then pumped into our proprietary vertical cloud technology. We call that the Molten Data Cloud. Molten Data Cloud essentially has a few verticals of solutions that are data analytics, intellectual property management, content management, governance of all this content, and the processing of all this content. So once this normalized data is put into Molten Data Cloud, it becomes accessible via APIs for any kind of application. And that's where it starts becoming very interesting because now whether you want to share this data with a tool that you use that is a non-molten tool or you want a beautiful interface to manage your rights trading or you want to have a business intelligence interface to query your intellectual property rights. All of this can be built purely in the web. So that's what we call the Molten Application Cloud. So to recap, at the bottom layer, you know, imagine a three-layer diagram, an ice cream sandwich, essentially. So the bottom layer is the data ingestion. That's where we get all the data. Then the middle, the juicy layer, the ice cream, <laughs> that's the Molten Data Cloud. This is where we make the ice cream. We, you know, we normalize this data and make it usable. And then the top layer is the application layer. This is where Molten's own applications can be used to interpret this data, operate on this content, and manage or govern your global operations to integrating with any third-party application as well. So these are basically the mechanics through which we we digitize the backbone operations of media companies. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I love the metaphor. It made sense with the the ice cream sandwich, you know, the base, the foundation, and then the ice cream in the middle is where the magic happens. And uh, the application layer on top is like a flip side of the foundation. I don't know, but the metaphor worked. So talk, talk about the team. It sounds like a fantastic idea. And in order to bring a fantastic idea, to reality, you're going to need a great team. So who are the people behind Molten? Uh, who are the team and who are its advisors? Molten's a small team of exceptional individuals, as I like to think of it. You know me now. With me, our COO is one of the movers and shakers of the media industry, Denise Denson. She brings over two decades of industry expertise. She was the former executive vice president of Viacom. And to put things in perspective, she led over $5 billion in media licensing every year, you know, for Paramount, for Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, MTV, VH1. So that's our COO, our head of sales, also uh, a former industry veteran who understands the mechanics of the media industry, Andy Hunter. He also brings two decades of expertise in the industry, but from the sales and marketing perspective. So he understands that headache from a slightly different angle, I guess. Our engineering team comes mostly from MIT. We were founded here in Cambridge. And uh, you know that gives us 
uh, access to some of the best engineering talent in the world. Our head of architecture uh, comes from the Media Lab who did extensive research in publishing medical records to blockchain infrastructures. And if you think about it in a very fascinating way, there are strong parallels to that idea and this idea of digitizing the plumbing of the media industry. Well, if you think about it, right, in the world of medical records, you have the patient who is the owner of that information at the end of the day. You know, these are my medical records and I should be able to decide who gets access to them. So you're thinking about a world where the hospitals don't control who owns this data and who gets to determine who gets access to it, but rather you're giving that control to the patients. So a world where you can do that is very similar to a world where a rights holder in the media industry can decide who gets access to their content, who they can trade this with, and what are the restrictions and limitations. Just to clarify, so in that metaphor, the, the hospitals, they would be your record label or your production company, right? In that metaphor, I think the way I'm thinking of it is that the patient is the media content rights holder. Now, the rights holder could be an individual or an enterprise, right? Whoever created that content. And the various outlets would be their counterparties that they deal with. So coming back to the team, in addition to our core team, we have four advisors at Moulton. That include Jack Dorsey, no introduction required there. Kevin Yorn, perhaps the top entertainment lawyer in the world. Uh, he represents some of the biggest names in Hollywood. Stefan Nauman, a former board member of Axel Springer and a CFO of uh, large media enterprises. And Todd Rupert, the former CEO and president of Tiro Price Global. That's quite a list. So uh, you sounds like you're getting some of the best advice in the business and you have uh, an experienced team that should definitely improve or give you good odds uh, towards success. So let's look at the future. What are some of the technology trends or innovations you expect to see in the near future in the media industry? I think the most important innovation I expect to see in the media industry is in cloud technologies. You know, we're going from a world of horizontal cloud technologies to vertical cloud technologies. I think that is one of the biggest innovations that we would expect to see in the near future. So horizontal cloud technology obviously is a system that works for essentially any industry. So you can expect something like SAP or Salesforce down to you know, database technologies like MongoDB um, to cloud platforms. They're all horizontal technologies. When you start looking at verticals that cannot be addressed by horizontal technologies, you start realizing the need for creating custom solutions to address certain verticals and media being one of those, life sciences is one of those. So in the media industry, I think we are going to see this massive 
treasure trove of decades of intellectual property and content migrating from tapes and film labs and archives into the cloud. So I think that's going to be one of the big innovations. The other couple of innovations that I expect to see, which would basically plug into those are one is artificial intelligence, and there's no surprise there. I think AI technologies, deep learning technologies are going to are going to add value in more creative ways than uh, you know you'd typically expect from simple cloud infrastructure. They're going to be able to do things like auto-generate trailers. They're going to be able to do large-scale data analytics and pattern recognition in the data. They're going to be able to determine where the opportunity is to best monetize your content globally. So there are a lot of these fascinating use cases that I expect to see once we've fixed the underlying data management layer. And then finally, I also expect you know, some level of innovation to go mainstream with smart contracts. I think the ability to make a lot of these operations autonomous is going to be a very powerful notion. The ability to not have to maintain you know, offline ledgers and move, move the universal truth to an online ledger that is universally publicly auditable and yet immutable, I think is a very powerful notion. However, even that relies on us being able to fix the data layer first. So I think these, there's a, going to be a confluence of a lot of these innovations over the next five years that will go mainstream altogether. It's so interesting hearing, hearing you kind of talk about that. I, I feel like some of these innovations are kind of happening with Spotify, or at least that's how I see them happening. You know, the, the, the AI, or at least the machine learning in Spotify and the recommendation system is fantastic. And uh, like you were saying with archived work and, and discovering it, like I'm a 26 year old and I was just like, spent, I just spent like the last weekend listening to like, this is Eric Clapton and, and hearing songs that were played live from like 1970. So to see that uh, happen in other related media industries is gonna be fascinating. You have a you have a ton of experience in in media, and you mentioned that this vertical deserves its own kind of platform. What do you think? You know, having so much experience, what do you think makes the media vertical unique and different from others that you might have mentioned? I think there is an essential requirement of domain expertise. You know, a generic CRM tool just cannot work over here. And CRM tools have been around for decades. So why have we not digitized all the contracts in the media industry so far? Why have we not digitized all the sales processing in the industry so far? And the trading, you know, the status quo of the industry today, and you may not know this if you're not from the industry, but for your listeners, I guess this would be really fascinating. The way you license content today is, is this global year-long, I'm looking for a good word to describe it. It's, it's a global year-long phenomena of monetizing content. And the way it works is you have something called film markets. 
So you must have heard of the Cannes Film Festival, right? That happens in France every year. But what you've probably not heard of is something called the Cannes Film Market that happens in conjunction with the film festival. The film market is like a massive industry convention where film production companies and distribution companies all gather in this multi-level building and all they do is talk to one another and have these white tablecloth meetings um, striking deals. And if you're a participant in this industry, you know, it's fun to go to the Cannes Film Festival once and it's fun to go to the Berlin Film Festival uh, or the European Film Festival and then the Busan Film Festival in Korea and then the Hong Kong Film Festival. And then after a while, when it's your day job to do this for 10 years straight, every two weeks you're in another convention trying to monetize your content, it gets exhausting. And you start seeing the inefficiency in the process. So to come back to your point, um, there is a level of domain expertise required. And it's not just for film and TV. I think you could go a little bit more broad and think about it as digital assets, digital intellectual property management. And that barrier to entry has prevented a lot of innovation. You know, you would typically see great ideas from young entrepreneurs around how they can how they can improve sales processing or how they can improve, you know, data analytics for something, how they can improve recommendations or customer targeting. There are lots of these cool ideas out there, but very seldom do you hear cool ideas around how you could improve the bottom line of media companies by improving their ability to identify underutilized rights. And it's, it's, you know, it's a known fact that majority of the rights in the industry are just not utilized. And what I mean by that is if you're a distributor and you acquired rights for 20 countries in Asia Pacific for various types of use cases like streaming or free TV, you're probably sitting over more than half of those rights without ever monetizing them because there's a, a human factor in terms of how much you can apply yourself to monetize those rights. You know, every right requires the same deal-making process and the same operational overhead. So it comes down to that. I think uh, the biggest barrier to entry uh, is the domain expertise required. Other aspects are also, you know, the industry, every media industry has a history to it. it. It has a history of innovation. It has a history of agreeing on protocols and agreeing on standards. So it is not as easy to just show up one day and say, hey guys, I'll show you how things should be done around here. Because at the end of the day, you are an outsider and being able to appreciate where the previous standards and innovations came from and how you can layer on top of it, how you could build them further or perhaps remain compatible with them because they are working for some people, but perhaps not some others, is essential. So so all this put together makes it a very different landscape than um, many of the other verticals that have seen more rapid innovation in the plumbing layer. Well, last question here. You know, this is the Angel Nears, a podcast for startup builders, and, and you mentioned newer players. 
Do you think that MediaTek startups stand a chance against like the well-capitalized uh, giants, you know, Apple's, Netflix's uh, of the world, not to mention, you know, others, Amazon, Google, Facebook? Do you think it's possible for MediaTek startups to compete with those giants these days? And uh, if, if, if it is possible, then how should they compete? I think absolutely. When you're looking at a paradigm shift in an industry, the scope of opportunities is tremendous. And when we talk about media tech, it is so big that there's hardly any company that can cover it all. You know, it, we talked about film, TV, all the way to VR, gaming, advertising, online education, the list goes on and on. And I think Pricewaterhouse did a really comprehensive study on sizing the scope of the media industry and it came to over $2 trillion a year in revenue generated by this industry. You know, we always think of it in sub-segments, which is the right way to think of it because it is so huge. But that also means that when you look at a change that spans across this industry, the opportunities that are created are just tremendous. So to answer your question, how should startups think about the opportunity in this space? I think startups should pick a beachhead market, a beachhead market where they can where they can have a value proposition that is an order of magnitude better than anything else that vertical has ever seen before. And once you get a grip and a product market fit in that starting vertical, your customers will lead the way into the other use cases where they need you. And I'm speaking from experience, you know, this has happened to us. When we started, we were obsessed about the problem that, you know, media organizations are not able to digitize their operations. Why? We have cloud, we have, you know, all these cool apps. Why are they not able to do it? Why are their operations fragmented? Why is their data still messed up? We looked at, various verticals. We looked at music, film, TV, books, images, VR. And finally, we decided to focus on the film and TV vertical. And we think of it together because of the strong similarities. Within film and TV, we further segmented it. And then we further segmented it till we got to a, a manageable size of a sub-segment where our value proposition was an order of magnitude better than anything else that that vertical had seen before. And as soon as we hit that sweet spot, you know, that product market fit where you get dozens of enterprises joining your platform and, and the word spreads and, you know, you get more and more inbound interest, you start basically seeing the machinery, you know, start moving. I wouldn't say, you know, roaring, but you, you start, you see that it's starting to work. At that point, something really fascinating happens. And we are going through that right now. Our partners come to us and they're like, hey, you know, we love you doing this on Molten. Could you also do this? Could you also store that? Could we also get this data into Molten? Could we also put that? Could you also integrate with this? So over a period of time, over months and months, when you start collecting this feedback, you start seeing patterns in it. And you start seeing that the segment you're addressing has this 
persistently has this pain point that is adjacent to your use cases that they're not able to fix. And they believe that your service, your platform would have, again, an order of magnitude better solution than what they have today. So my suggestion to startups is, you know, just get started. Make sure you know your vertical inside out. Every vertical is unique. Make sure you're obsessed about the problem and not obsessed about a solution before you have something working. And just super achieve in your beachhead market and your customers will help you see your growth path from there. All right, Arjun, thank you so much. Before we get out of here, what's the best way if our listeners want to uh, reach you or learn more about Molten, where should where should they go? Yeah, just go to the website, molten.co, C-O. It's M-O-L-T-E-N, like molten lava. <laughs> a, a fun fact, actually, the word molten is an analogy to the molten core of the planet. I actually, I wanted to ask you about the name. I forgot I, I had that as a question, but yeah, can you, can, okay, last, last question. Uh, why the name Molten? Yeah, I think it's an analogy, as I said, to the Molten core. And the reason we picked this analogy is because for us, it's all about addressing the root cause of the problem. And the way I visualize this is, you know, you need a solid core to build layers and layers of solution on top of it. So think of the planet Earth. You can have life and economies and atmosphere, all of that possible and thriving provided you have a solid core. So that's the analogy and that's where the word molten comes from. So to contact us, go to molten.co and uh, or email us at contact at molten.co. Yeah, don't drill down to the center of the earth. <laughs> oh, that, that's incredible. I, I, I love the name. Arjun, thank you so much. We're going to end the show there. If you liked it, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating. Uh, thank you for joining the show today. It was incredible uh, to, to, to learn about media tech. And, um, you know, I, I say this on every episode, but I, I really do. I learned something every episode. This one, especially, I'm going to have to have to process because we learned a lot. So <laughs> thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate it, Oleg. Thanks for having me.